Okay, Psalm number 27, verse 4. If you're there, say amen. If you're watching online, I want to welcome you to our service today. Thank you so much for being a part of us. Uh, I pray that God is blessing you, touching your life. Uh, I want you to get still and quiet, get ready to receive from God today, that you would experience His presence. Uh, That's my goal for you and for everyone here, that we would experience the, the privilege of being in the presence of God today. If you want to be a part of our giving and our worship service in that manner, you can do that. There's a place you can click online. But I want you to just get ready to receive today. God wants to touch you. Verse 4. One thing. How many things? One thing I have desired of the Lord. That's what I will seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Lord, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Father, I thank you for your presence that's already here today. I'm believing that you're going to make yourself known today. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you, to be challenged by the power of your word. Touch us, shift us, do something great. I'm believing for miracles to happen today, Lord God. I'm believing for people to get healed right now in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we began this series simply entitled The Privilege of His Presence. We had three main points last week. The first one was we went back to the Old Testament and we talked about how His presence was exclusive. Because of the veil that was in place, you and I could not get in even if we wanted to. If you and I had gone into the presence of God, we would have dropped dead instantly. Only the high priest could go in on the Day of Atonement. And if he didn't do everything just right according to the law, he would drop dead. And they would have to drag him out with a rope tied around his ankle. Because it was exclusive. But what we find in the New Testament is that the veil is torn, and because the veil is torn, His presence is now accessible. Now we can all come in. We can all enter into His presence. The third thing we talk about is that His presence is a privilege. Sometimes we mistake access for, for... a lack of privilege. Well, because everybody can, it's not important anymore. It's, it's common. Just because everybody can get into the presence of God doesn't mean that getting there is common and not still a privilege. Are you with me? Because of the price that Jesus paid. Jesus gave his life so that we could have access to God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's referring to the three doors in the temple and the, and the tabernacle of David, the, the way being the first gate that allowed you to come in, the truth being the second door that you went to in the life, being the veil that separated you from the presence of God. So in order to get into the, where the Ark of the Covenant was housed, you had to go through three doors, the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, I am those three doors. And the only way you can get to the Father is if you come through me. So he gave access to all of us, but it cost him his life. And so it's still a privilege that we get to enter there. Amen? 
So today I want to pick up on this thought and I, and I want to talk a little bit more about the presence of God. I, I love the presence of God. If you missed last week's sermon, I want to encourage you to grab the podcast or the CD and, and stay, stay caught up with us. But I just love the presence of God. I, I believe what David said when he said, uh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go down to Starbucks. No, no, that's not what he said. Hang on, hang on. Uh, I was glad, I don't know, somebody doesn't want to get this mess, this verse said, hold on. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, he wasn't going there for the French toast in the cafe. It's amazing. You should try it. But that's not why he was going there. He, he wasn't going there just to meet his friends, though I'm sure he enjoyed uh, fellowshipping with other people. No, he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord, because he knew I'm going there to get into the presence of God. That's what it's about. What, what draws us to the presence of God, what draws us to the house of God is at its core the presence of God. Now, it may, it may be the singing that draws us or the preaching that draws us. It may be the fellowship that draws us. Uh, it may be guilt. It may be fear of going to hell. I, I'm scared of going to hell, so I'm going to church. Whatever gets you here at the end of the day, it's a presence of God that is drawing on your spirit. And here's the good news. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, For where two or more are gathered together in my name, this is Jesus speaking, I am there in the midst of them. This is the, this is the good news. Uh, there are at least two or three. I, I, you know, you may not can count very well. We may not can count very well, but I'm pretty sure there's more than two or three in this room, right? And we are gathered together in his name. Therefore, you need to know God is here. He's here. He is here. He's in the room. He's here today. He has shown up to touch your life today. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is here. But as we think about the service, I want to look at what actually happens in the context of a church service. Now, there's a lot that goes on to make up what is our ministry at Triumph. We have all types of ministries, all types of things going on from children's ministry, youth ministry, nurseries, um, uh, singles ministries, young marriage ministries. Uh, we feed the homeless. We, uh, man, we do all kinds of things in this campus and in all of our campuses. We, we, we love to touch the people of this community and all over this world. But when we're just looking at the context of a service, what are the primary things that are going on? There's two primary things that happen. Two primary things, reasons we come to church and, and what is going on. The first thing that happens is this. We touch God. You touch God. Before God touches you, our goal is to touch God. We touch God. We do that in a couple of ways. We do that in praise and worship. It's, it's, it's why we come here and we begin the service with praise and worship. And before even service starts, there's pre-service prayer going on because we are touching God. We're lifting up. Praise and worship isn't about me and it isn't about you. It's about Him. It's about God. It's a gift to Him. It's something that we give back to Him. It's worship. It's for Him. The song's not your favorite song. Okay, it's not about you. It's about Him. The, 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 the singer doesn't sing as well as you would like. That's okay. It's not about you. It's about Him. Uh, you don't know all the words. That's okay. It's not about you. It's about Him. 
Are you worshiping with your heart? Are you praising and worshiping? It's about him. So the first thing we do is we come in. The Bible said, we talked about it last week in Psalm 100. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The first thing we do is we step in through praise and worship. We are here to touch him. Second way we do this. Uh, is in our offering. When we give, it's a part of our worship. It's a part of our sacrifice. We're giving unto the Lord. Remember the verse said, remember the Lord your God that he brought you out from in slavery. So we remember him and we're giving back to God. We're touching God when we give. Thirdly is our service. Last week in Psalm 100, he said, serve the Lord with gladness. The words serve the Lord and worship are interchangeable here in, in the Hebrew that he was writing in because our service is an act of worship to God. So when we're running a camera or working in the sound or singing in the choir or working as an usher, we are literally bringing worship to God and touching God while we are serving others. Did you know that? It's a sign of worship to God. So the first thing is we touch God, but once we touch God, the great news about this deal is the second thing that happens is God touches us. Now this is where it really gets good because at first it's all about us touching him. We're giving, giving, giving. But, but God is, won't be outgive. Won't be outgave. Won't be outgiven. Well, I don't know what the term is there. You can't outgive God. How about that? Uh, let me conjugate that verb for just a second. You can't outgive God. So, with the, so the more we give to God, the more he says, hey, let me give back to you now. He does that in a couple of ways. First of all, in, in the word, in the ministry of the word. Is God giving back to us, God touching us. As we open the word, there is a power held within it. And when you open it, you read it, you learn about it, you allow it to touch your life, it changes you. It gives back to you. Uh, the word of God is a blessing in your life. It is a weapon in your life. It is a tool in your life to help you become all that God has for you. So when you allow the message held within, the words held within it to touch your life, you are literally letting God touch you. We do this in teaching and in preaching. I believe in both. In teaching, we, we give people the knowledge and the understanding of what the Word is saying. But in preaching, we give you the inspiration and the motivation to go out there and live what the Word says. So both come together in one. The Bible says that, that Jesus went through all the towns and all the cities teaching and preaching. He did both. He didn't just pump them up, but not, they're running around all pumped up, but don't know what to do. No, he gave them the knowledge, and then he pumped them up with the motivation and the inspiration to go out there and do something with the knowledge. The second way that God touches us is through personal ministry. And this happens in a number of ways. It, it happens maybe in worship. While we're worshiping God and touching God, he reaches down and says, I want to touch you. I don't know if you've ever been in a worship service and you just felt like God was touching you right then. Not, not about someone praying over you, not about someone laying hands on you or uh, anything. You, you just felt God touching you in the middle of the worship service. Some of the greatest uh, words that I have ever received from God, some of the greatest touches, uh, healings that I've ever had in my life happened while I was just worshiping. I'm just going about my day, worshiping God like I've always done. And he says, today, I'm going to touch you, Randon. He's good like that. So it might happen in the worship service. It might happen during a sermon. Uh, I've been sitting in sermons before, and the preacher's talking about I don't even know what. And God just chooses that moment to touch me. Personal ministry just touched me. It might happen in the altar. Uh, 
pretty much at the end of every service or the middle of every service, we open up our altars, our pastors, our elders, our prayer partners come, and we invite you to come and allow us to pray with you about something that might be going on in your life, a need. We just join hands with you, join our faith with yours, lock in with you to believe God on your behalf for whatever it is, a healing, you need a a touch in your finances, your relationships, uh, something going on with your job, your emotions, whatever it might be, your marriage, it could be anything. But we just want to pray with you. And in that moment, that's personal ministry, that is God touching you. So it could happen in any of these ways, in any of these places. God is amazing, and he's not bound by any one means. He, he can touch you in the, in the line while you're getting some Fruit Loops outside. And someone next to you just says something, and in that moment, God touches you. It could be anywhere. God just touches us. So when we come to service, the primary things happening are we're touching God, and God is touching us. That's why we come to church, to touch God and to be touched by God. So whatever's happening, our goal is his presence. Now, when we talk about the presence of God, there are two types of the presence of God. There, first of all, is the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence of God. This basically means that God is everywhere all the time. Everywhere all the time. He's everywhere all the time. Is he there? Yes, he is. Is he over here? Yes, he is. Well, how's he over there and over here? He's God. He can do that. I can only be one place at one time. I can't be in two places. I've tried. It doesn't work. God can. He's everywhere all the time. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. You can't get away from God. He is always there all the time. Let's look what what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. Now, that's an interesting thought. We know that God is in heaven, that his presence is there. But here's what the psalmist said. His presence is also in hell. You can't go anywhere in heaven or in hell and get away from the presence of God. It is there. If I I take the wings of the morning, if I go up into the air, or if, if I dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, or if I go out in the water, anywhere on the earth, in the depths of the sea, in the heights of the skies, anywhere I go, Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Everywhere I go, he's there. Where can I go to get away from the presence of God? The omnipresence, excuse me, the omnipresence of God says that no matter where I go, he is already there. You can't get away from him. But the good news about that is I may get a long way away. I I may get way off track in my life, but I never go so far that God is not right there and all I have to do is turn to him. He's always there. You got way, but Pastor Randy, you don't understand. I'm way messed up. I, you don't understand my story, my, my life, what I've been through, what I've done. Doesn't matter. He's there. Doesn't matter. He's there. This is a good thing about, about God. But then there is the manifest presence. The manifest presence. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, if God is everywhere all the time, how do I draw near to him? Well, that doesn't make any sense. How does he draw near to me? He's already there. Well, what he's referring to here is the manifest presence of God. God can make his presence manifest differently or more intensely. The word manifest means uncovering or making known. So to manifest the presence of God, it is uncovering the presence of God or making it known. I I want to try to illustrate this to you because God is everywhere all the time. But at times it feels like you can't see him. Have you ever felt that way before? Jump up here, Ronnie, and help me really quickly. I'm going to use this 
night blaster, two million candle power light. How y'all doing over there? Good? Is that bright? This, is this bright right here? Do you want me to shine it somewhere else? Over here? Okay. Anybody sleeping? Let's look. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. This light represents the presence of God. I should probably not shine it in the camera. People at home are like, please don't do that. Okay. This light represents the presence of God. Everyone can see it, right? It is here. It's here. You're trying to run from it. It is here. But the omnipresence of God, go ahead, is covered up. If you'll dim my stage lights for me, just the stage lights. A little bit more. Oops. Work. Okay, so now here's the deal. The presence of God is covered up. You can still see the light, but it's dim, isn't it? It's there. It's just not really doing you any good right now. If I turned all the lights out in here and you were trying to get out, this little bit of light isn't going to help you. Now, is the light any less bright in reality? No, it's just covered up. This is the omnipresence of God. It's there, but it's covered up. It's not making itself known. But when the manifest presence of God, when James said, draw nearer to me and I will draw nearer to you, that's the manifest presence of God. It's simply manifest means an uncovering or making known. Same light, it's just uncovered, therefore it's intensified. Now it can actually do us some good. Now if all the lights were out and we needed to exit, I could shine a light on the ground and lead you right out of here. You wouldn't be bumping over everybody and kicking walls and chairs. and, and th- but Why? Because we have a light that can do us some good that can affect an environment because it's now uncovered. Are you with me? This is the difference between the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere all the time, but He's covered up. And then the manifest presence of God when He chooses to reveal Himself. Make sense? Thank you, Ronnie. Y'all give him a hand. When the presence of God is manifested or, or made known or uncovered, it, it becomes visible and it makes an impact on the environment. Things happen. James said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let, let's think about this statement a little bit more. I've had the privilege in my life of going to several great sporting events. I want to show you a couple of pictures here. A few years ago, Chris Robinson, one of our members here, took me and uh, two of our elders, Ronnie Ramirez and Elder Mark Moe, to a Houston Texans football game. There's a picture I took from my phone. And as you can see, uh, we're sitting, I think we're about 30 rows up or so. Pretty good seats, especially since I didn't pay for them. I wasn't complaining. And um, this was on a Monday night game, I believe. And it was like Red Spirit Night or something like this. So everybody was wearing red and uh, it was a good game. We ended up winning. Go to the next picture for me. Uh, here's some pictures. Oh, that's been stretched a little bit. But uh, I was sh- taking a picture. I'd like you to think I was taking a picture of the crowd. But I was really taking a picture of one individual. You probably can't see him. But right in the center there is a man that has had a few too many to drink. And, he, yeah, he was cracking everybody up because he was dancing half naked. It was really funny. Next picture. Yeah, you see him now. <laughs> Here's, uh, here's our two elders, Ronnie Ramirez and, and Mark Moe. I don't know what they're doing with cheerleader pom-poms. But there they are. This is a fun night. We had a blast. Uh, you know, the Texans won. It was a great night. Thank you, guys. But I, I've had the privilege of going to several wonderful sporting events. Uh, I'm a big A&M fan. So I've been to several A&M football games. One time I sat uh, for a, for a U, against UT all the way at the top row. 
I mean, we were in the nosebleeds. Like, you can't get any higher. Like, literally, I'm standing here. Behind me is the fence that drops you off, you know, five stories to the ground because I am the top row. You can't get any worse seats than what I had. We were way up there. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, we won. We beat UT. Uh, you know, any Aggies fans in the room? <laughs> there, okay, a few of them. Uh, might have been the last time we beat UT, <laughs> but we did win that game. It was, it was a blast. But we were way up there, man. I mean, the, the players were like ants on the ground. They were so small. I mean, you couldn't make out hardly anything. It, it, I really would rather go home and watch it on my big screen than to be all the way up at the top of the stands like that. Can I just be honest with you? But a couple years ago, probably six or seven years ago now, I had the chance to go to a Houston Rockets game. Uh, a family friend gave us, uh, me and my brother-in-law, some uh, tickets, second row down on the floor to watch the Houston Rockets play the Miami Heat. It was incredible. It was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. You got down there. When you were up at the top, you know, you are watching the game, but... You got distracted because you really can't see anything, so you're talking to people around you, and they look like little ants running around. You can't feel the hits. You can't get a, a picture of how big they were. You can't smell the, the, the players. But when I got down there on the court level, Yao Ming comes walking by, like seven foot six. He's huge. Stevie Francis, Alonzo Mourning. Man, now you can really sense this thing. Now you get a picture of why people pay big bucks for these tickets because, man, you could smell the sweat on the players. You could hear the coaches cussing them out in the huddle. <laughs> you, could, you could hear it. You could smell it. You, you could feel it. Man, when they would run up and down the court, it felt like a herd of elephants were running by. Go, 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 go. Their feet are like this long, and they're just like, boom. And, and like you could feel the floor shaking when they would run up and down the court. It was, it was incredible, man. You could sense it. It was different on the ground. I got a picture of how, I mean, I'm not a small person by any means, but when, you're, when the smallest person on the court is three or four or five inches taller than you, you suddenly feel very small and they're very large. Man, you don't look that big on TV. He's big. The presence of God is much the same way. If all you've ever been is at the top, You've, you've seen the omnipresence of God. You've seen maybe other people touch God, but you've never been, you've never drawn near to God and you've never been close to Him and you've never been where you could taste it and you could see it and you could smell it and you could feel it. You've never experienced God like that and you don't really know what you're missing, but when you've been close enough, and, and you've been in position where, where the psalmist said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now you get a picture of my senses are alive because I am in the manifest presence of God. I have drawn near to Him and He has drawn near to me. And now I look up and I used to think, Well, God is just God and I don't need to worship Him. He's kind of, you know, whatever. But now that I got close to Him, I realize how big He is and how small I am and He's worth worshiping. But if you've never been down low... You can't comprehend why people would pay $2,000, $2,500 a seat to be on the front row at Yankee Stadium. Why would you pay that much money? Who cares? Well, when you've been there, you get it. When you've been in the presence of God, 
When you've felt him, when you've experienced it, you understand why people make the sacrifices to get back there again. You understand why we lift our hands in worship and we do everything we can to get back into that place because I've been there, I've tasted, I've seen, I've felt it, I've experienced it. Now I want to get back. I need more. For me personally, I have no desire to go to any sporting event of any kind and sit on the top row anymore. I just, I just, I'd rather save my money. But now if I can figure out how to get down to the bottom... I'm there. My kids are begging me to go to an Astros game. They don't know how bad we are. Um, (laughs) Roger Clemens is on his way back. I'm pretty sure right now at 50 years old, he's the best player the Astros have. (laughs) Um, The reason I haven't taken my kids is, I mean, I could take them. You know, you get like the four tickets, four Cokes, four hot dogs, four hats, four whatever for 40 bucks. You know, those little deals. But you're like way up in the, in the, in the boxes up there. And I, no, I don't want to take my kids. I want them to experience it. But then I think maybe I'll spoil them. So then I spend 50 bucks per ticket getting them down there on the, on the floor. They may be $10 for now. Nobody's going to the games. But um, then if I get them, maybe I'll spoil them, and then they'll only want to send on the front row like I do. Then we'll just have a whole big mess. So maybe I need to start them at the top. But the point is this. Once you've been close to God, just a little bit isn't enough. It's just not enough. Just the status quo, it's not enough. I need more than that. I need to get closer to God. I need to feel Him. I need to experience Him. If I can't get it on Sundays, I'll be back on Monday trying to find it. If I can't get it on a Wednesday, I'll be back on Thursday trying to get in the presence of God. Because once you've experienced it, just a little is never enough. The manifest presence of God. If you thought that God was small, incapable, unwilling, unavailable, maybe you need to get a little bit closer. See him for who he is. So the question then is, how, how do we recognize the manifest presence of God? Well, when you get there, uh, you feel a heightened sense of God's reality. You feel a heightened sense of, wow, this is real. A heightened sense of, man, th- this is not just something I heard about, but this is real. John Keats said it like this, Nothing becomes real until it is experienced. Even a proverb is no proverb till... Uh, to you till your life has illustrated it. Well, the Word of God is just a story until you've experienced it. And once you've experienced it, now you get a sense of the reality of God. When I was a, about a sophomore or so in college, I took a class. I've talked to you about it probably many times before. In this class, it was a master's level class, but they put me in with it. A systematic theology it was the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. I made a B. I'm very proud of that B. I'm just going to be honest with you. Worked very hard. We had three ga- grades. He asked us questions about our reading every night. We had to answer with no notes. We read about 100 pages a night, and you had to come back in the next day and be ready to answer questions. Tell me everything you know about Kierkegaard. Tell me everything you know about Martin Luther. Tell me everything you know about the Trinity and Calvin's take on the Trinity. And it was really, really difficult. I'm not sure how I made a beat, just to be honest with you, but I did. The second part of that was a, we had one test. It was a final. And the third part of that was we had to write a, a, a 30 to 35 page paper and present it to the class, defend it to the class. Well, uh, the, the particular school that it was at did not believe in faith healings or uh, speaking in tongues. So the good Pentecostal boy that I am, I write my paper on that. So now everybody in the room is either already has their doctorate already, or already has one master's and is going back for another except for me and one other, and she is almost through with her first master's. I'm, I'm like, everybody's 
experienced and they don't and so they are like they're firing away at my paper man I mean they are firing away at man they're throwing this and they're throwing out and finally I said listen we're talking about faith healing at the moment uh God healing someone and I said listen we you we can argue you can say the Bible says that it didn't mean it like this and blah blah that's fine here's the problem I was there at 14 years old when we lay hands on those who were blind and saw their eyes open. I was there when we laid hands on the, on the, on the person who couldn't, had never spoken in their entire life and suddenly they were speaking fluently. I was there. I was there in the middle of the conference when the, when the tumor literally fell out of the lady's body. She picked it up and put it in a Ziploc bag and took it to the doctor. Yes, that's crazy. I was there. I, was, I, I remember, I talked to the lady. I had known her before and known her after who was pronounced dead for over an hour, but who got back up when they prayed for her and God healed her and she's alive and well today. I, you, you can tell me about your knowledge, but once you've experienced something... So, so I just said to him, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not mad at you. I'm not hating on you. I'm just telling you, I believe this, not just because I believe it's what it says, but because I've experienced it. You can't argue with that experience. Heightened sense of God's reality. There is a profound sense of the nearness of God. When you, when you get into the presence of God, you feel peace, you feel love, you feel joy. Why? Well, the Bible says that God is love. So when he gets near, you feel love. Why do I love everybody all of a sudden? Well, because God is there and he is love. You know, love. Why do you feel peace? Because he's the prince of peace. So when you get around him, you feel peace. Because everywhere he goes, he exudes peace. So when he gets near to you, peace overcomes you. He's joy. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. He's not talking about the omnipresence here because if that was the case, everybody would be full of joy all the time because God is everywhere all the time. But he's talking about when you get into the manifest presence of God, when you draw near, there is fullness of joy. You've been lacking on joy lately? Get into the presence of God. There's fullness of joy. When you get into the presence of God... His power is often displayed. You see people being healed or people being delivered. You see signs. You see wonders. You see the gifts of the Spirit made manifest. Why? Because that's what's happening when the presence of God shows up. Remember in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the gift of prophecy, the gift of word of knowledge, the gift of word of wisdom, uh, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the gift of miracles, all these things, the gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, the gift of discernment of spirits, all these things, what he says if you read a couple of verses before that is he says these are the manifestations of the spirit of God so when God shows up this is how you know he's there you see things happen but then I find something else interesting is that there are different degrees of his manifestation so sometimes he shows up really strong sometimes he shows up not as strong I find this amazing to me but it's like the air how many of you know there's air in the room today? If there weren't, we would all have a problem. If we ran out of air, oxygen, in this place, we would have a problem in, in, in not too long. 
especially with me doing all the talking. I'm going to use a lot of the air up, right? So we're, we've got a problem here if we run out of air. Air is here, but you can't necessarily feel it until if you're sitting in a place where the air conditioner cut kicks on. Every time the air conditioner kicks on, a few of you start grabbing things and covering up and grabbing coats like this because you feel the air move. We call it wind. It's still air. It's just air in motion, Right? It's air that's moving, air that's intensified. When we're, I don't know if you've been tracking the hurricane out there. What's his name, Isaac or something like that? Uh, You're tracking the hurricane. What is a hurricane? It is a storm that is causing air to circle and and blow at a very fast pace. 100, 120 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour, whatever it is. A hurricane is literally the movement of, The rapid movement of air. It's all air. But it's just moving, and now we feel it. It's intensified, right? So in the same way, the presence of God works just like that. The air is always here, but at times, it's just a gentle breeze. At times, it's like on a a hot evening when you're sitting out underneath your porch, and you feel that breeze come, and you say, wow, that feels good. That feels nice right there. We had my son's first football game yesterday, flag football game. He's four years old. It was a mess. We played Lumberton, Lumberton Raiders. He came home from practice Thursday, and on the way home, he said, Dad, we're playing for the Raiders. I'm hungry for some Raider meat. That's what he told me. It's delicious. That's what he said. Yeah, we got our tails whipped bad. Um. But we're sitting out there and it is hot. I mean, it is just hot. And all of a sudden, a little cloud came over and you felt that breeze blow. And you said, wow, now that feels good. Sometimes the presence of God is just like that. Just just you come in. It's not a hurricane. It's not a storm. You don't see... You know, some of the things that, uh, that we've seen throughout the years, throughout history. With, uh, you know, there's not people dancing in the aisles. There's not uh, people falling out. There's not miracles happening all the place. People aren't, people aren't crying. And no, it's just, whew, man, that feels good to be in the presence of God. But sometimes it intensifies. Sometimes you see people coming to the altar. You see them kneeling. You see them worshiping. You see them praying. You, you might see someone crying. You might see one uh, lifting their eyes. You, you might see someone getting a touch from God. Why? It intensified. And this is the way the presence of God works. It, it intensifies. Sometimes it's stronger. Sometimes it's not. I, I find something fascinating about this. I'm talking about the intensity of the presence of God. Uh, sometimes... Um, sometimes it's more intense in seasons than others. Sometimes in the first service, it's really intense. The presence of God is just really strong, really intense. I come in this service and it's not as intense. It's good. God's here, but it's not the same. Other times I go to the first service and those that are here can attest to this. You go to the first service and it's really good, but it's not as intense. You go to the second service right behind it and God is strong. God is intense. God is there. Why? He manifests himself in different ways, in different intensity levels. Sometimes it's a gentle breeze. Sometimes it's a tornado. Then God shows up in his degrees of activity, degrees of what he's doing. Sometimes there's just more activity. Sometimes there are more people worshiping, more people getting healed, more people coming to the altars for prayer, more people lifting their hands, more of the gifts of the Spirit in action. More, there's just more stuff happening. And then sometimes it's about a season or a purpose. God does different things in different seasons. 
different things in different seasons. Sometimes we go through a season here where the worship is soft and moving. Other times it's faster and more demonstrative. It's just the different ways that God moves. God's always here, but not at the same intensity. Three factors that can affect intensity, the intensity of the presence of God. Now, there's a lot of them. I don't have time to cover them all today, but I just want to give you three quick factors that affect the intensity of the presence of God. The first is just simply this, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God just means he chose to, and it doesn't matter what I do right or what I do wrong, it was his decision. He's God. He has the right to do that. Sometimes God just chooses to show up. Sometimes God just chooses, today is the day I'm going to show up. It's his sovereignty. Why is it that, and we know now, but why is it that in Acts chapter 2, the disciples, the apostles, the 120 had been praying for days. They've been praying. They don't know. Nothing's really been happening, but they've been praying. They've been doing business. They've been doing what they were supposed to do. And all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, boom, it breaks out. And, and, and revival shows up, the Holy Spirit shows up, and an outbreak of, of the Holy Spirit. Just the sovereignty of God. He chose that day. In the early 1900s, a man by the name of William Seymour was preaching out in, in L.A. on Azusa Street. I had the opportunity to go to uh, this place in Azusa Street and also another street there where uh, they were praying and, and believing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was preaching this. And night after night after night after night, and for 30, like 31 days, no one was filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, they are praying, they are fasting, they are worshiping, they are giving it everything they have. And finally, like on the 31st night, night, the owner of the home, not even William Branham himself, excuse me, not William Branham, William Seymour, not even him, but the owner of the home gets touched and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The sovereignty of God. Why was it the 31st night and not the 22nd night or the first night or the third night? Why would God make them wait a month? I have no idea. Just the sovereignty of God. The next person didn't have to wait 31 days. So there's not this like miraculous thing. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to pray for 31 straight days or you won't get it. No, no, it's not that. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to work that way anymore. Just people are filled with the Spirit. Just You want to receive it? Receive it. It's a free gift. But on that occasion, it took 31 days and then they were filled. The sovereignty of God. So the first factor is just that God is sovereign and he chooses to do certain things in his time, in his way, and we just roll with it. We just roll with it. The second is the, the, the worship teams and the worship leader and the pastors, the, the people that are leading the service. They matter. They matter. The gift that they have, the anointing that they have on their life, it matters. It affects what's the intensity of the, the level of, of uh, the manifest presence of God in the service. It matters. The, who is leading worship matters. If, if the person singing was only based off their vocal ability, then you could go to a Lady Gaga concert and receive the presence of God. But I mean, you know, you don't get no much of the presence of God. I mean, he's there everywhere all the time, but... It's very covered up. But when we're choosing worship leaders, we're not just choosing people that can sing, but we're looking for people that are anointed that can help lead us into the presence of God. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and in his courts with praise. Singing, worshiping, 
So we're looking for people who are anointed. Not just that can sing. And we have some incredible singers here. But more than their ability to sing is their ability to lead us into the presence of God. Not every worship leader is created the same. They're all created to worship. So are you. So am I. But listen, if you think I'm going to get up here and be the worship leader on Sunday morning and we're going to get somewhere. We're going to go somewhere. But it's going to be down to sawgrass not to like the presence of God because I'm not very good at singing as you know so the worship team the worship leader have they been praying have, have they been practicing have they been seeking God for their own one of the great things that our team does uh, under the leadership of pastors Chris and Yolanda is when they come to practice on Tuesday night they don't just come to learn the words but they come to experience God and if you're not a member of, the, of our praise team and you can sing a little bit or would like to sing a little bit, you need to get connected with them. You will experience God. Uh, week after week after week, I hear reports from choir members and, and uh, members of the band where they were just playing and practicing and all of a sudden God showed up. Choir members, can I, can I get a wave of a hand if I'm telling the truth? I don't want to be lying in the pulpit. I honor them for that because they experience God. That's what I'm looking for, people who experience God. The third thing is you. Pastor Chris, if you'd come and, and get in position. The third thing is you, the people. The, the people. The people in the room have an effect on the intensity of the presence of God. You do. If, if the people of God come and they don't really want to worship, they don't know how to worship, they're, they're tired and worn out, lethargic, don't want to sing the words, don't want to lift their hands, don't want to open their mouths, don't really even care to be there. It tends to work that there's just less of an intensity of the presence of God. Is He there? Yes, but just not quite the same. But when you come into the room and you say, I'm here to worship today. I'm here to praise today. I'm here to lift my hands today. I'm here to give glory and honor to God today. And you begin to worship. It is amazing how your energy feeds on God and you're pulling on Him and you're pulling on Him. And He's saying, I don't know if I want to come today. I don't know if I want to come today. I don't know, no, 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 no. But you just keep on saying, God, we're not leaving here until you show up. And He says, okay, well then I might as well show up. And His intensity, and He goes, and He uncovers Himself and reveals Himself to us and His manifest presence. You have an impact on how we receive from God. I've been in services with thousands of people, but there was very little presence of God. But I've been in prayer meetings or my own personal prayer time where there was just one or two or three or five or ten who really wanted God. And he showed up so strong, so powerful. You have a part in this whole deal. You play a role. The more you push, the more you worship, the more God wants to respond to you. He wants to be here. He wants to respond. He wants to show up. So we go back now to where we began. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He's going to hide me. He's going to put me in His secret place. He's going to set me up on a high rock and my head's going to be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, 
I, I want to offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. When I come to church, I want to offer sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yes, I know I don't sing very well, but I will sing praises to the Lord. Because it's not about how well I sing, it's about me worshiping him. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And watch this in verse 8. When you said, seek my face, this wasn't an option. This wasn't an if you feel like it. This was a command. Seek my face. And my heart said to you, not just my mind, not my spouse, not my kids, not the pastor. No, no. My heart, my soul, my emotions. I didn't feel like it, but something in me said, your face, Lord, I will seek. I could seek fame. I could seek fortune. I could seek riches untold. I could seek the, seek the, the best husband or spouse. I could seek the best job. I could seek the car or the promotion or the happiness or the joy. But no, no, no. Your face, Lord. That's what I'm going to seek. One thing I have desired of you, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going after your presence. I want to feel you. I want to know you. I want to experience you. And nothing will deter me from that. Your face, Lord. That's what I'll seek. It is a decision that I make deep, deep in my heart. I will seek you. When, when I don't understand, I will choose you. I will choose to seek you. When it doesn't make sense, I'll choose to seek you. When my neighbor doesn't feel like worshiping, doesn't matter, I choose you. When, when, when my life is coming against me and the devil's trying to tear me down, Lord, you I will seek in all of the things of the world. I will seek you. I choose you, God. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose to worship you. I choose to seek you. I choose to lift my hands and to lift my voice and to come into your tabernacle singing praises and worship. Father, I I choose to trust you. I choose to love you. I choose to worship you. I, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. 